Ephesians 4, 17 through 31. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, so that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me just uh, start today with a little illustration here. So when I was a kid, like, like everyone, you all learn your ABCs, right? But I was a very confused child as a kid. So I uh, would see you'd have letters like this, right? And letters like this, and letters like this. Oh, man, this is not a good fit. I should have tested that for, oh, I'm not doing well here. Okay. And, okay, so they look like mirror images of one another. So I applied that logic to letters like this and letters like this, thinking, well, there's probably letters like this too. And then maybe there's probably letters like this. Oh, is there a better one? Okay. There, green. Oh, yeah, this is better. Okay, so I thought, you know, you have your E's. And your F's. Ah, all right. How, this is called how many felts can you go through in a day? And so then I thought, okay, maybe there's letters like this too. Or letters like this and like that. And then my mom told me there isn't. And she told me to try using my right hand. And so um, I started using my right hand. And I learned, okay, there's letters like this. And then even in college, I had to take a whole semester of practicing my letters for drafting. And some people don't know what drafting is. But it's the practice of drawing lines and letters for technical purposes. All to say, I had to learn the logic I had about letters did not make sense, and the world that I was living in required me to learn what to do with these letters. What seemed natural to me, I realized, didn't make sense to anyone else. I had to learn how to navigate new with this world that I was growing up in. So, 
as we continue our series in the book of Ephesians, we turn to the second half of the letter where, as Matt reminded us last week, helpfully, that we move from the big picture of the first three chapters to the actual living in the four, five, six chapters. We move from big picture to living. Chapter four serves as this transition point in the letter. Because of the good news of Jesus, we've been reminded Gentile Christians like the Ephesian church have been joined into God's promises to the Jewish people. They now have a newfound capacity to live and move about differently in the world. And Paul describes it in the first uh, verse of chapter 4, saying, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And the rest of Ephesians, from 4 onwards, is unpacking what this life worthy of the calling looks like. So we're going to walk through today the rest of chapter 4 in three movements. Living into our new selves from the old, learning Christ, and living our baptism. So, throughout this text, as Raz read for us, you probably, there's probably a few words that hit you. <laughs> the kind of tough words. Paul makes continuous comparisons between the old and the new. And they're highlighted on the screen for you here. The old Gentile way of life versus the present life. A life of futility versus a life in the truth. Darkened and ignorant versus taught. Putting off the old versus putting on the new. Deceit versus truth. Corrupted versus new creation. Impurity and lust versus righteousness and holiness. Separated from the life of God versus created to be like God. Comparisons. Old versus new. The Greek text of this section contains two long sentences, each comprising a paragraph in our NIV translations. Verses 17 to 19 is one sentence appealing to a different way of living from the former sinful way of life. And verses 20 to 24 describes this transformation that takes place in Christ. So we're going to walk through these two sentences, long sentences beginning with the first one. What are some key markers of this old life? The old life is in the dark because it's a life lived independently from the life of God who is the source of light and love and goodness and truth and beauty. It's a life that is driven by base desires that tell us our happiness, our fulfillment, uh, and contentment is found in fulfilling those desires when in fact they merely deceive us into believing that. So a life given over to desire, as Paul states in verse 18, is the fruit of a life separated from God due to hardness of heart. You know, my dad's side of the family has a history of heart disease. So the Chung's, many of us have a disposition towards heart disease. But all of human, uh, humans have a heart condition inherited from our first parents. Adam and Eve, when they were first in the garden, they were completely innocent. They never knew what it was like to be independent from God. But the first hardened heart in human history came by the way of a serpent who claimed happiness, who claimed fulfillment would come through independence from God by appealing to what? To their appetite, to their desire, saying, more food than all the rest of the food that God had provided in the garden if you just ate from this fruit. And if you ate from this fruit, you would have more knowledge, more knowledge that a good God seemed to be withholding from them. 
And as a result of indulging that desire for more by taking of the fruit, they were cast away from the light of God's presence and carrying provision in that garden forever. And ever since then, apart from God intervening in our lives, every single human being struggles with this hard heart that continually seeks for more, continually longs to satisfy that desire independently from the living God of love. This is the idea of the word translated as greed at the end of verse 19 in the NIV. It's translated as continual lust in other translations. It comes from this Greek word pleonexia, which literally means the desire to have more. Greed isn't just a money thing or a food thing. For me, it's a food thing. As someone who recently returned from a cruise with Julia's family, let me tell you, my own desire to have more was severely tested. (laughs) Let me just say that being offered New York strip steak at lunch and dinner, unlimited, every day, is for me a very hard thing to walk away from. All to say, our old selves are constantly creeping up, even after years, old selves of wanting to satisfy this longing for more apart from God, are always creeping up, even after years of following Jesus. The move from old self into new self is not a one and done thing, it's a daily thing. But here's the bigger challenge. How do we recognize the signs of a hard heart that keep us in this old way of living, of independence, of indulgence? Now, we may not have voices telling us to eat some fruit or have servers offering us unlimited New York strip steaks, but more often than not, hardness of heart shows up in this justification of behavior as being God-given or as an unwillingness to change. It's like, well, can't touch that. Or an unwillingness, or even being open to having a discussion about it. Sometimes it comes across as this an assertion. It's like, well, this is my, who I am. This is my personality. This is my individuality. This is the way God made me. And I could say, well, God made me to have a really fast metabolism and a big appetite like a teenager. So why not indulge? And often, though, that attitude reflects an opos- uh, is the opposite of humility of contrition, of a soft heart towards God. And even more in our highly individualistic culture, the hardness of heart is compounded by our unwillingness to live in true open accountability, in true vulnerability with others, and particularly with those who might disagree with us. But Paul tells the Ephesians that they have a new capacity for responding to these desires. Now that the Ephesians have encountered Jesus and they are now in Christ, they have the responsibility and they have the power of the Holy Spirit to take off this old lifestyle and to this old way of being human, this old way of living in the world with all of its values and goals, and to put on a new way of being human. Do you all have favorite at-home shirts or t-shirt, sleeping shirts? Here's one of mine. You can tell how old it is. Beijing 2008, and it's got a hole in the armpit, and it's so old that it's almost see-through now. Do you have those kinds of shirts? You don't want to get rid of them because they're so soft, right? It's so comfy. The new shirts you have are scratchy, a little stiff. They might look good, but they're not like sleeping shirts, right? New ones feel a little more uncomfortable 
because we're not used to it. But now in Christ, we are new people with new capacities to live into this resurrected life in the power of Jesus. Then the old shirt has to come off. Some of us have old shirt values or behaviors or attitudes that Jesus is inviting us to let go of for something better and more fulfilling. If we're willing to trust him. Because the power of the resurrected Christ now lives in all who have joined their lives to Jesus. Jesus' followers have a new God-given capacity to live life that far exceeds any promise of fulfillment or of happiness that we've often settled for with our old t-shirts. How do we live further into our new selves in Christ? You know, we may find ourselves, much of our emotional or mental energy, trying to manage our inordinate desires, right? How many of you find that? But life isn't, with God isn't meant to be like that. That isn't meant to be the focus of our attention in being with God. Now, just to be clear, experiencing desire, experiencing attraction is not wrong in itself. Unlike the Hindu or Eastern faith, like Hindu or Buddhist, Hinduism or Buddhism, the Christian worldview does not seek to address the problem of desire by eliminating desire from human experience. Instead, it's what we do with our desires and how we seek to fulfill them that gets us into trouble. Rather than eliminate desire or just redirect desire, Paul instructs the Ephesian church and us to address unhealthy desires exactly by not focusing on the desires. Instead, the focus is elsewhere, which brings us to this second long sentence in the original Greek, which goes from 20 to 24. The former way of life was fueled by deceitful desires that promised happiness and contentment but could not deliver. But this new way of life, this new self, is made new in, quote, the attitude of our minds. In our call to worship, Jerry has already hinted at what Paul is saying here. Where the old life creeps up in our desires, our new life in Christ takes place in the battleground of our minds. Note the language that Paul uses here to describe new life living. The life you learned, that you heard about, that you were taught in him. Truth that is in Jesus, you were taught. Do you notice the theme? Our feelings and desires are real things. We must tend to them. But how we interpret them, how we measure their significance to our well-being... And how what we choose to do with those desires all happens in the realm of our minds and in our thinking. See, at the same time, though, humans aren't just big brains waiting to be set free from our bodies. The Christian faith isn't just a set of philosophy or a set of ideas to agree with. If Jesus' resurrected body is the sign for what life to come looks like, our new selves in the age to come aren't bodiless souls floating around in the heavens. We are bodies with souls and with minds. And the challenge between now and then, and then in the age to come is what do we do with this old self-comfort, these old t-shirts that we love to hang on to in light of the new self in Christ capacity that has been gifted to us in Jesus? The key we find is in verse 20 and 21 where the wording is a little bit weird. It's okay in, in the NIV, but if in the original Greek, the nuances don't come out in 
English as easily. In NRV, it attempts to convey the idea, but it misses the literalness of the original language that is helpful to us. See, the NRV says, that, that however, is not the way that, of life you learned. More literal word-to-word -word translations kind of capture it better, saying, that is not the way you learned Christ. That is not the way you learned Christ. It's not just the way of life you learned. It's the way you learned Christ. And perhaps if we read an English translation of the original Greek in the original syntax with Jedi Master Yoda voice, it might help us understand it better. It goes, or you, but not this way. You learned the Christ. Or you, but not this way, you learn the Christ. We find in this strange phrase that the renewal of the mind comes by literally learning Christ. There's no real parallel, but it's weird because you don't really learn a person, right? None of us goes to school to learn a person. And we're not just learning about ideas about Jesus. We're not just learning his morals and teachings. It's not just reflecting in our minds about how inspiring the life of Jesus is. It's like, oh, his compassion. Oh, his justice. It's so amazing. It's so inspiring. It is those things. It's not even identifying in our minds that we are Christian. It is literally learning Christ, learning the way of Christ. You see, to be a follower of Jesus is to learn Christ. And this is the way we live into our new selves, in Christ and redirect our unhealthy or inordinate desires that lead us away from life that best reflects God's character of love and beauty and generosity. Paul reminds them in verse 21 that they know better than to live the way of 17 to 19, the old way, because they know the truth that is in Jesus. Because to learn Christ is to learn truth. And as we sang, Jesus is the truth, but he's also the way, and he's also the life. And so the battleground for our bodily desires is one in the realm of our minds. Other texts seem to confirm this. Romans 12, 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your desires? No, by the renewal of your minds. Even generations before that, in Proverbs, the wisdom of the ancients say this, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he or she. See, modern-day neuroscience seems to confirm what the ancients have already known for generations. The stories we tell ourselves of trauma or of shame or of abuse or of being alone and unloved, or maybe it's stories of ego and pride and self-centeredness, they all create neural connections within our brains. And those neural connections become pipelines or ruts through which we filter all of life through. All new inputs get interpreted through these lenses of trauma or shame or pride. But as we reinterpret our experience, as we reinterpret our stories in light of a new story, or as we find here, in light of a new person, we literally become new people ourselves. New neural pathways and connections are being made. We become more like the people that we long to be in Christ. Developing new neural connections requires learning, requires practice. For Jesus followers, this path of being made new is done by learning 
Christ. By taking our stories, by taking our desires, and and taking our experiences and filtering them through the lens of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And when Paul refers to the truth that is in Jesus, again, it's not just facts about Jesus that you believe. It's that Jesus is the definition of truth, of what it means to be human and how to live as a human in this world. Being taught in him according to the truth that is in Jesus means that the truth about human life and experience only becomes really true when Jesus is overlaid on top of it. So the question for us is how are we exploring? How are we deepening? How are we widening our union with the one named Jesus? How are you learning Christ? Again, not just learning about Jesus, not just managing your desires or soothing your emotions and neuroses with an inner voice that you attribute to the divine God. It's not just learning history and ideas and theology about Jesus. These are all valuable activities that Jesus' followers can do. But the secret to living into our new selves is simply learning Christ through the practice of spiritual disciplines. Kind of like what Jerry led us in, in that brief moment as we began the service. We're, we aren't attempt, just learning an amorphous divine being. We are learning Christ, fully God, fully human. Learning to live the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is all we need to know about living in union with God. In the final section of our text today, Paul shifts from this concept of old self to new self to application. He lists a whole bunch of characteristics for this living, new self living in Christ. Jesus' followers who learn Christ, we find, are learning to speak truthfully, to speak candidly and wholesomely, using our speech to build others up rather than tear them down through lying, through gossip, through deceit, or prayer requests. People who learn Christ are learning not to sin in their anger or to let their anger fester. People who learn Christ are learning not to take advantage of others and to work to provide for themselves and to provide for others with the capacity and opportunities given to them. Imagine that. The person, the, the thief or the, the woman who was healed by Jesus, she was healed She confessed, but she had to learn how to live a different life to provide for herself. Those who learn Christ become even more kind and compassionate and forgiving of others. In short, people who learn Christ become more like Christ in character, in word, and in action, and in doing so, especially in ways that benefit others. Paul goes on to the rest of the letter, four, five, six, to address various areas of, and relationships for these qualities to be lived out. So we'll unpack them in the coming weeks. But in light of verses 17 to 24, what we see is a practical description of living out our baptism. This image of old self, new self movement. You see, people who learn Christ are daily living out their baptisms, dying to the old self, rising anew in Christ. People who learn Christ don't just identify as Christians, 
People who learn Christ don't just go to church. People, don't just, people who learn Christ don't just go to teaching time or adult nurture and small group. To be joined to Jesus means we are open to Jesus, calling the shots in every area of our life. And it means a humble acknowledgement that parts of our lives are in need of God's mercy, forgiveness, and grace to overcome. Whether they are our thought patterns, whether they are our speech, our anger, our physical and sexual appetites, all are on the table for Jesus to speak into. And for many of us, we realize that stepping from old self to new self in Christ, living in these areas, sometimes is a lifelong journey of trust and obedience. It's not done away with overnight. And one sign that perhaps Jesus is inviting us into this new self living is when we find ourselves, as I mentioned earlier, I can't help it, this is the way God made me. When we find ourselves saying this, there might be an element of truth to it. God did make you that way. But the fact that we find ourselves saying it is an invitation to explore why, in fact, we need to say it to ourselves and to others. Is it an old self, our old selves justifying its existence? Or is it an invitation from the Spirit of God to consider a new way of responding to our desire in light of Christ? To live out our baptism to let go of what we think is essential to us may seem hard in the moment. But because of Jesus, we trust that there is hope and life on the other side. Jesus has passed through ultimate death and risen from the grave on the other side. And so too will we, with all of our being, as we learn Christ, as we live out our baptism in every part of our lives. To live out our baptism, we need to learn to die as well as learn to live. We die by putting off all that limits us from stepping into these new life, this new life in Christ, and we put on Christ, his character, his actions, his deeds, his mission. And in doing so, we become even more like ourselves as God created us to be. And if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, you have not taken the step of water baptism, and you can't think of a good reason why you shouldn't get baptized, Come and talk to me. We would love to celebrate that together with you and journey together with you as a community, living out our baptisms together. And for those of us who have been baptized in water, continue to learn Christ. Live out your baptism in your day-to-day -day actions, in your life, in community with others. During the season of Lent, we have been gifted this opportunity to die to our appetites together as a sign of our desire to learn Christ. So let me conclude with this Lenten prayer by a theologian named David Taylor. You can pray with me or you can read along the screen. Oh Lord, you, have, you discipline those whom you love. Grant me a special grace this Lent, I pray, to embrace the disciplines that would enable me to love you with all of my body, so that my body may be freed from the passions that draw me away from you and be filled with the passions that draw me near, in order to make it easier to fulfill your good purposes for me as your disciple. I pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who calls out to me 
to follow him in the way. Amen.